Well, this brings us on to our sermon this morning. And typically I'd read a, a passage of scripture at this point, but actually I've got a few passages that I want to touch on as we enter into our second week of our home series. Last week we talked about heaven and how our ultimate home is heaven and that we need to live with that perspective because when we live with that perspective, when we recognise that heaven is our true home, while we might be in various forms of lockdown all across the UK and in fact world, when we recognise that heaven is ultimately our home, our true home, we begin to think differently and, and I hope live differently as we recognise what it is to be citizens in the kingdom of heaven. This week, and this might be a little challenging for only the second Sunday in January, I want to talk to you about obedience. First week, heaven, second week, obedience. You see, there's a, a well-known quote. It goes, he must increase, I must decrease. And that is the underpinning, I reckon, if we were trying to distill it down to a single sentence, that would be a great single sentence that refers to the underpinning of what it is to be a Christian. Because ultimately to be a Christian means that we're putting Christ first. And so as I was reading and I was thinking about what I would say, I thought there were a couple of great when you comments in the word of God. I'll give you an example. When you pray, when you pray is something that Jesus said and it says, he says, when you pray, pray like this. And then he goes on to explain the Lord's prayer. So the first when you, the first step in obedience that I want to talk about this morning is prayer. I think there's an expectation from God placed on us that we will pray. You're expected to pray. Now you might be struggling with prayer. I've spoken to some people and I know that this season of life they're really struggling to pray. I'd like to be really honest and say there have definitely been seasons in my own life where I have struggled to pray. And that can feel like it's very wrong. It can feel like we must be doing something terribly wrong if we're struggling to pray. But I think the reality is that every Christian at one time or another in their walk with Christ will have had an experience, personal experience, of struggling to pray. You see, when we pray, there's a pattern that we're taught by Jesus and it. We glorify God, we exalt his ways over our own. But we also come to his daily grace and forgiveness. And sometimes we struggle to pray, I think, because we're struggling to truly feel like we're in the presence and grace of Jesus. 
Other times it might be something that we refer to as a, a dark night of the soul, a time of real testing, a time of doubting even. You know, it isn't always easy to pray. Sometimes we struggle with prayer. In Jesus' teaching is how to pray, he talks about praying that we would be led not into temptation, asking for God's ways and asking with expectation. Ultimately, I think the secret to prayer is to keep it simple, to make it more about God than us and to practice praying God's way. The simple prayers. In fact, as Jesus said to his disciples in teaching them about the kingdom of God, he talked about children and he talked about having a childlike faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we pray childish things. Lord, I want this. I want that. I want the other. And I think that's a risk, too, isn't it? We very easily fall into praying like children with an Argos catalogue in front of us. And this expectation that we're meant to pray, I don't think is just inviting us to pray through an Argos shopping list of things, suggesting a thousand and one things that we want. But instead, I think it's much deeper than that. I think this expectation that we would pray that we find in the Bible, and as we consider the topic of obedience this morning, I think that expectation is an expectation based on relationship. God expects us to live in relationship with him. In fact, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, while that takes away all the sins of the world, the other thing that that does, more than just taking away every wrong thing that we've done and making us right before God, the grace of God we often talk about, the other thing that it does is it helps us, each one of us, to be able to live in relationship with God. You see, it isn't just that our problems are taken away, our sins are taken away, and they're no longer a problem to God, but that God wants us to live in relationship with him. He wants to be our Heavenly Father. He adopts us into his family and calls us his children and that becomes our identity. We become part of the family of God. And I don't think he's even content to kind of leave us just clean of our sins, but I think continues to work in our lives. The Bible talks about how we're being conformed into the likeness of Christ. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. And we're beginning to learn more of our God-given identity. The next when you I want to talk about is when you give. You see, we, we give to God. It's part of our worship. We practice generosity in our giving as a kingdom value. I think we're encouraged to predetermine what we'll give, not to be swept along in the moment or in the emotion but to have a budget, to be good stewards of what God gives us, but be expecting to give. I think it's important that we recognise that God's goodness precedes our wealth. 
every single wealthy person needs to recognise that God has given them so many things. I saw a great story somebody shared with me and they were saying that they had just been so blown away when they had had a medical bill come through for a ventilator. Very topical at the moment. And this story was saying that when they had needed a ventilator in hospital, they suddenly realised just how expensive being given air to breathe was. And they they welled up with tears and began to cry and people were very concerned that maybe they couldn't afford the bill. You might have seen this story, it's been doing the rounds. And when they were asked why they were crying, they said because they had suddenly realised how much they owed God because God had never sent them a bill and yet they'd been breathing his air every day for tens of years. When we recognise that God's goodness preceded every good thing that we've ever had, his goodness to us is foundational to our very existence. When we change our perspective and we recognise God's goodness, I think it helps us to give with a glad heart. The word of God says that God loves a cheerful giver. So it's not just that we're expected to give when you give, do it this way, but it's that we, we do it with a heart that is full of good cheer, recognising that we're just getting to do something wonderful in worship of our Heavenly Father. I think it also helps us in our giving when we recognise God's work in our lives and that others are being benefited by our giving. You see, every single one of us that will ever come to faith will have been impacted by somebody else's giving. You might be trying to think of an exception to this. I know that I did spend more than a second or two thinking about this the first time I heard it. And I think I can probably come up with a few exceptions. But before long, if you really think about this, for those of us living in the world today, there are so many amazing Christian resources, so many opportunities to hear somebody else's testimony, and go and sit in a building like a church or join a live stream and engage with church in this way. And every single part of this is made possible by somebody's generosity, somebody's giving. And when we recognise that somebody has given so that we could be here, it's very humbling and very sobering to recognise that their giving to God has impacted us so positively that we've had the opportunity just to know about God for ourselves. I've got just two more points on when you give. You see, when we give, we let God be our greatest priority. The Bible talks about how we can't serve two masters. We can't serve both God and finances. We've got to choose. We can't have 
idols in our lives and it's so easy in our consumer driven culture to let idols begin to take hold and um I once heard somebody say, you can tell that something is an idol in your life when you find that you're thinking about it more than you're thinking about God. You know that you've got idols in your life when you find that there are things that you are thinking about more than you are thinking about God. And lastly, I think the challenge to us is to put God first and the world second. When we see the, the story of the woman who gave the two coins and we see this amazing example of giving, of generosity, this person who'd given so little, but compared to so many others who had so much more wealth, she had given so generously of what she had it isn't proportional giving, it was a huge sacrifice for her. And I think sacrifice, making a sacrificial gift of praise to God in our giving, is also part of the culture of heaven. Jesus gives his very life for us. And I'm not suggesting that we somehow need to repay him, because how could we? But I do think it's good to just consider, just to be challenged by this call to radical discipleship. This idea that we just spend a moment, we make ourselves a little bit uncomfortable and we just have a really meaningful conversation with God. We just seek him in prayer. And I think when we do that, when we ask God, what would you have me do? The answer is always personal, it's relational, but it's also always going to line up with the word of God. The last one I want to challenge us on, and I hope this hasn't been too challenging a message for you already this morning, is when you fast. And I want to really challenge us to think about fasting this year. I think when the people of God fast, they give up something. In fact, let me start out just by explaining what fasting is. There are various types of fast. Sometimes people fast from all food and drink for a number of days. That's a, a pretty big deal, isn't it? I don't know if there might even be some of you this morning listening, hearing about fasting a complete fast who, who perhaps never have fasted before. We tend to think of a three-day, three-night total fast of food and drink as an Esther fast. We see a great story in the book of Esther that talks about fasting and when she needed to seek God before she went to go and speak to the king of the land and ask for his favour. She and the people of God fasted for three days and three nights because they wanted to seek God with all that they had and all that they were. Another example might be a Daniel fast, eating only water and veggies. It's known as a restrictive fast. 
In Acts, we see Barnabas and Saul in preparation for God's service. The people fasted and prayed. And after they prayed for them, they fasted and prayed some more. Jesus even seems to explicitly share this as an expectation. He says, when I leave you, you can fast. You don't fast when I'm with you. He's talking about being with his disciples in Matthew 9, 14 and 15, when the bridegroom is there. But you see, when we fast, when we put God first, when we give him our whole attention, when we practice this spiritual discipline, I think what we're doing is we're just letting God and our full focus on God reassert itself over our daily living. There have been lots of people who've done studies and they've concluded that fasting is biologically good for us, it's a healthy thing to do, that it benefits us on a very practical level. But that's not why I'm suggesting fasting. This isn't a whole new year, new us kind of thing. This isn't a new church diet, keep fit campaign. But instead, it's about practicing a spiritual discipline. And it's about reasserting our spirit, practicing drawing close to God over our body, over the physical world that we're in, and recognising a spiritual reality, a spiritual truth here. And so we don't go around looking gloomy and having people ask what's wrong and say, oh, I'm fasting. And we're not doing it so that other people will see. But we're doing it because we want to find God. We want to seek him with all that we are and all that we have. Here are some reasons people pray and give and fast. First, I think it's good to declare our dependency on God, to ask for forgiveness, to focus on the eternal perspective rather than the temporary, to invite the presence of God into our lives and believe God for answers to specific needs, because with obedience comes blessing. And ultimately, we do these things because rebellion and affliction remain a part of our lives. Each one of us struggles with rebellious hearts. In fact, that continues to be our struggle, doesn't it? Until Christ comes again, the spirit and the flesh are locked in a battle with one another. And it's so easy to harbour unforgiveness, hurt, anger, frustration, disappointment, and Christ calls us to deal with those things. And we see time and again that affliction often calls us back to God. But unless our spirit is brought under the control of Christ, unless we deliberately meet with God, and by our choice deliberately follow the Lord, then when these afflictions cease, Eventually, the benefit is lost and our rebellious heart continues to plan for our good, not God's best. You see, whether it be tithing and declaring God's lordship over your finances and over your material belongings, whether it be in prayer and practicing that discipleship discipline 
that you're going to put God first and seek him with your whole heart, or whether it be fasting, hitting reset, and declaring your dependency on God, focusing on the eternal, and inviting the presence of God in a more substantive way into your life. All of these actions are following after this single act of obedience. And that is that we're seeking to know greater intimacy with God. We're seeking his way, not our way. We want our perspective to be eternity focused, shaped in the light of Christ, in the person of Christ. And that as we refocus on the eternal, as we pray, give and fast, the greatest single act of obedience is intimacy with God. And from intimacy with God comes all else. And so my question to you this morning, and if you've tuned out a little bit because we've been talking about some spiritual disciplines this morning, and obedience is never our favourite thing to consider. Well, my question to you is this. Will you join me? Join me in prayer. Join me in giving. Join me in fasting. Let's do this together at church. Let's recognise that these are values, these are marks of the kingdom of heaven. And this challenge to us doesn't come from me as the pastor or from the church leadership team, but comes from the word of God. And these spiritual disciplines are there. This pattern of obedience is there, not to make our lives less fun, but to help us practice intimacy with God. So often we say, I just want to know more of God this year. I want more God in my life. I want more God in my coming and going. I want more of God when I wake up and I just want to know he's there. Well, let's put some things in practice this year. Let's take some of the great deal of head knowledge that we've been accumulating and let's make it practical. Let's start living this stuff. And perhaps you've been living all of these things for a long while. In which case, I think this is a great opportunity just to reconsider, where am I with these things? When did I last fast? Stop and devote some time to prayer and ask the Lord, what should I be doing in my giving? Do I, how's this going? What can I do? What would you have me do, Lord? Or just wait a while and let the Lord come and meet you. Seek him with your whole heart. And know that his promise and he always keeps his promises. His promise is that when you seek him with your whole heart, he will be found by you. And let me just share this one last thought. So often in our prayer, we come to God because we've got need of him. We've got some specific thing that we'd like to talk about. Well, how would it be in our prayer lives if we just spent a little bit more time waiting on the Lord? waiting and wondering and just letting the Lord minister to our hearts, seeing what he would say to us. And rather than bombard him with a thousand requests, let's see what the Lord wants to talk to us about. Where would he challenge us?